Hello, and welcome to the tribe. Uh, my name is Annika. I'm your host. And this week, we're talking about love and romantic love. And I'm hoping that this podcast is a conversation that can help kind of shed some light and provide some clarity around that heady drug, oh my god, I love this person, is this real love, is this not, how do I know, what is love, oh my god, Um, around that whole inner dialogue and that inner narrative. Um, My goal this week is to expand your lexicon, um, to give you some new words, to give you some new um, nuance and definition around the things that you may or may not be feeling so that you can move forward with a bit more clarity. And this week, man, today, the, like today's episode is just about like the most amount of planning and note taking I think I've ever done for an episode. Um, what we're talking about today can be somewhat mind boggling. So I've done a bunch of work to try to uh, put it together and articulate it in a way that makes sense. But feel free to like have a notebook out and hit pause. Hit pause with this one. Don't be afraid to hit pause or go, rewind and go back. Um, this one is definitely, she's a lot. She's uh, this one. So, okay. So today's episode, you're like, oh God. Um, today's episode is called The Myth of Romantic Love. So, whoa, what are we going to talk about? So we're going to talk about love. We are going to talk about romantic love. We are going to talk about falling in love. We are going to talk about what love is, what love isn't, um, and this is all coming from a grounding in psychology and in spirituality. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about content in the book *The Road Less Traveled*, um, which is by M. Scott Peck, and it, the book was written in the seventies, um, but honestly, might as well have been written yesterday. Like this, the content is just timeless. And um, if you are digging what we talk about today, I highly, highly, highly recommend going and getting the book. So these are largely M. Scott Peck's findings and not my own. Because like, first of all, let's just start at the top. First of all, this, yeah, this is not from my experience. Um, I can imagine one or two of you who I may have dated uh, listening to this like, huh, where was this information when you were floundering in our relationship? And to that, I respond, yes, 100%. Yes. Um, I, friends, like, I am just as much a learner in this field and in this area as you are. Um, What I'm drawing from today is a collection of the things I've learned and heard and practiced and seen demonstrated. Um, And what this is, what romantic love is, all of this is, it's messy, um, but it's chock full of opportunities for growth. So those are my disclaimers for the day. Um... I'm already singing and we're like two minutes in. So, you know, where it's like going to get weird. Um, okay, let's see. So what are all of the things, let's start here. What are all of the things that we say that we love, right? Like, what do we, this is just to illustrate, like, we use the word love freaking all the time. Um, we, we, we say uh, we love a lot of things. So we love our parents. We love coffee. We love our friends. We love our partners. We love our careers. We love ourselves. We love our dogs. Um, I'm a dog person. We love Queer Eye. Uh, we love podcasts. Um, 
we love a lot of things and we use this, the word love for all of it. Um, I was listening earlier to an amazing podcast with, um, Ruthie Lindsay and Jedediah Jenkins and talking about their amazing, their like life partnership that is platonic because he's gay, but is still more significant than other platonic relationships they have. And they're like, how do we find a word for this? But also they were talking about how in different languages, there are different there are different words for different kinds of love, right? Like there's one kind of love that you have with inanimate objects and there's one kind of love that you have with members of your family or with your friends. And then there's another kind of love that you have um, that is romantic. And we use the word love for all of it. And so I just want to note this to say that like we're kind of starting um, from a crappy place because we know that um, – we are all using love in different ways. So one person saying I love you might mean a completely different thing than another person saying I love you. Um, and that's complicated. So, okay, that's just top, top of the line. Now, what, this is where I want to start. What is falling in love other than the crazy, intense, emotional, roller coaster that many of you may know and define it to be um what is falling in love so so in this book um M. Scott Peck talks about I just realized I started recording this podcast without like getting the book that I'm talking about out which is funny um so he talks about falling in love is something that is specifically sexually motivated so we we don't like fall in love with our dogs or we don't like fall in love with our children though we may have like very loving relationships we don't fall in love with them so I want to like that's the first place to specify is like we know in this in the previous example when we have all these you know we love coffee we love our dogs all those different things we know that falling in love is something that is specifically there's an aspect of it that is sexually motivated Um, then the second, the second thing that falling in love is, is temporary. And some of you are like, what? But if you think about it, it's like, you know, a couple has been married for 40 years. They maybe are not still falling in love, but they're 50 years old. So, okay. So falling in love is temporary, right? And to go even further and to make it very esoteric and confusing is he defines, he says that falling in love is a temporary collapse of our ego boundaries. And for like 80% of you, you're like, I'm sorry, what? What did you just say? And what does it mean? Don't worry, my friends. I will not abandon you. I am walking you through this. Here we are. Let us go on this journey together. Okay. So let's start with some, this is our, this is a part of the show where we talk about psychological development. Heyo. Okay. So let's start with like literally the the development of the human psyche and therefore the ego. So a child is born unto us as an infant. Um, an infant really can't tell the difference in the first weeks of life. An infant really can't tell the difference between itself and the rest of the world. By that, I mean like all sounds, um, an infant psychologically believes are coming from within it. Um, or when it moves, the world moves. Or when it is hungry, the world is also hungry. Um, so that, the idea is that like 
they're, the infant psychologically yet does not understand the difference between it and the rest of the world around it. So there are literally, there are no boundaries, um, you know. And then gradually, uh, you know, as the weeks and months go by, it begins to understand a little bit more that this, uh, that the infant begins to understand, oh, I'm not my mother. So like every time I'm hungry, I don't automatically get fed. Like my mother is not automatically there to feed me. And there starts to be just like a little bit of confusion, but a, a slight bit of understanding. Oh, when I move my arm, the rest of the world doesn't move. It, these are trippy times for four-month-old, you know, infants. Um, so starting to understand, like, oh, when I move, the world doesn't move. When I cry, the world, the crying is actually coming specifically from me. When I desire something, it's not, the world does not automatically yield to my request. And this leads us into this time period in psychological development that is referred to as the terrible twos. Hopefully many of you have heard about this. Two-year-old, three-year-old's going around and they become these like mini tyrants of their families, right? Um, they basically now, now you, the more, you know, two the two year olds are essentially coming to terms with their existential powerlessness. It's the time when, uh, in human development, you start to understand, Oh, like my wish is not my mother's command. Um, my thoughts must be separate from hers. And it's this, it's kind of like a psychological nightmare, which is why they are so miserable to be around, right? Um, why, why it's truly so, you know, painful. Um, they say in the book, he says, by the age of three, the child has usually become more tractable and mellow as a result of an acceptance of the reality of its own relative powerlessness. It's like, did you know that we were all having existential crises when we were like two and three years old? Because we were. So, and so on into our lives. This whole idea of now we have these boundaries that start snapping in where we're like, oh, I am not you and you are not me. And moreover, I don't have power over you. Just because I want something does not mean I get it. Okay? And that's kind of horrifying. It's kind of a nightmare as we're growing up. I think this is what leads us into what happens and can happen really intensely in a way that we may not have full compassion for, um, for our, you know, young teenagers and, and then teenagers and then early 20s is you're coming into this place of psychological development where you are really feeling lonely and isolated and fearful, right? You are realizing, I I don't feel like I have any agency or any control over anything in this world. Like, I'm kind of like um, a meaningless blob. So he says, Within the young people, within this group, they are not particularly distinguished. So each of us is not particularly distinguished from one another, yet they are isolated from others by their individual identities, boundaries, and limits. It's lonely behind these boundaries. So, okay, so we're like, wow, we've been on this whole journey. We're talking about psychological development. We are all boundaried off from one another. We are very lonely. Enter in the idea of falling in love. Remember how I said five minutes ago and you panicked, I said falling in love is a temporary collapse of our ego boundaries. So let's, let's unpack that. I'm going to read what he writes. He says, the essence of the phenomenon of falling in love is a sudden collapse of a section of an individual's ego boundaries. 
permitting one to merge his or her identity with that of another person. Temporary sudden collapse of ego boundaries. The sudden release of oneself from oneself, the explosive pouring out of oneself into the beloved, the dramatic surcease of loneliness accompanying this collapse of ego boundaries is experienced by most of us as ecstatic. We and our beloved are one. Loneliness is no more. Along with emerging of along with this merging, we also experienced the sense of omnipotence, which we had to give up on our journey out of childhood. You know, that thing that we had in the terrible twos where we were conquering everyone and we were in charge of the whole family. We re-experienced that sense of omnipotence. All things seem possible. United with our beloved, we feel we can conquer all obstacles. We believe that the strength of our love will cause the forces of opposition to bow down in, in submission and melt away into the darkness. All problems will be overcome. The future will be on uh, all light and then he says and i find this hilarious the unreality of these feelings when we have fallen in love is essentially the same as the unreality of the two-year-old who feels itself to be king of the family and the world with power unlimited that's what's happening when we fall in love you guys what are you serious it's like not so magical and i read this and i had this moment of oh my gosh you have described it for me you have this feeling of like wow anything is possible and oh my gosh and the world is this new thing and it, it's this isn't this isn't just like one day that you feel this way this can be like weeks and months and up to like a year where you're just in this like me and him or me and her or me and them or z are one and we can do anything and we're different and like any like we can take on any challenge and anything is possible and holy crap that's what we're feeling when we're falling in love is actually like the psychological collapse of our ego boundaries because we're merging our identity with another person because the world is really lonely and when we can merge our bound like we can drop our boundaries and merge with another person it feels really freaking great whoa what 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 okay cool now question two so that that quest that was question one that question was what is falling in love this is question two okay wait 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 Annika what the fuck what am I feeling then Oh, oh, mind you, it gets more interesting. Ready? Ready? Okay, cool. So then we move on to this bananas thing, which is a concept called cathexis. What? Have you ever heard of that? I hadn't. So, okay, this is how he, he says when we cathect, and I'm saying C-A-T-H-E-C-T for those of you who are visual learners, when we cathect an object outside of ourselves. We also psychologically incorporate a representative of that object into ourselves. And y'all are like, I'm sorry, but I do not understand what you just said. Cool. Fine. Let's take this example. I love hiking. This is the thing that I say that I love. I love hiking. I love hiking in a real way. I invest my time in it. I invest my energy into it. I learn a lot about it. Um, I've learned a lot about different trails. I've learned a lot about different gear. I've learned a lot about different kind of like methodology. What is trail running versus hiking? What is this? What does that mean? Like what are people in the hiking world doing? Um, I, I love hiking, right? Hiking is outside of me. But the 
so hiking is outside of me, right? Like I'm not physically inside. Like it's, it's a thing that is happening physically outside, not just psychologically inside myself. But because I love it so much, I have also brought it into me and I have made it part of my story. It has become a part of my identity. So he says, when we cathect an object outside of ourselves, we also psychologically incorporate a representation of that object into ourselves. So I have loved it so much, this thing outside of me, that I have brought it into me. And the way that makes sense to me to explain it is I have brought it into my story. I brought it into my understanding of who I am. I may may or may not grow from the process of hiking. We're going to get to the whole idea of growth in a minute, but I have brought it in to myself. So we can cathect other humans as well. We can incorporate them into ourselves and into our stories. So other humans become important to us. Um, This can be with or without love, this idea of cathexis. When we we can cathect someone in a really unhealthy way, You are mine and I need you because you are a part of my identity. I have brought you into me. You, I have cathected you and I've brought you into me and you are mine now. This is like an unhealthy, an unhealthy way that we can make somebody a part of our identity is try to own them. Um, I think an example of this that might make sense is that the people who always seem to be in a relationship, um, they are cathecting people so they're bringing them into their identity because they have kind of a void somewhere within them that if we were ever to take that person out there would now be an empty hole in that person's psychological identity and they need to bring somebody else in or you know bring that person back in so you know people I mean we remember them from high school god bless them who were in a relationship and then they'd break up and then three days later they'd have a new partner right so it's that kind of thing where we that's unhealthy cathexis is when I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. Um, but the whole idea of cathexis is that we're bringing somebody inside, inside of us. Um, that, I'm sorry, that's, that sounded sexual. The whole idea is that we're incorporating them into ourselves and into our story. So we've unpacked two important ideas. Uh, one is the idea of falling in love is a collapse of ego boundaries. Um, the other is this idea of cathexis. Now, now, I'm sorry, you're like, what? What is romantic love? Like, what, what, what are we doing? So is romantic love falling in love? Is romantic love cathexis? Like, what, how do we, how do we make rhyme and or reason out of all of this information that we have been given? So the way that romantic love is defined by M. Scott Peck, and I heartily would agree with this, is um, or the, sorry, the way that love in general, not just romantic love, the way that love in general is described is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Basically, what love is is a willing to the willingness to give of yourself to support the growth of another human being. The the willingness to extend yourself to support the growth of another human being. That's what love is. And the point that M. Scott Peck is making is that. We confuse cathexis and we confuse falling in love for this idea of romantic love, which you could argue pretty strongly that that's a myth, like that romantic love is a myth, um, that you, you think that by the process of 
oh my god, my beloved and I are one and we can take on the whole world and I have incorporated him into my story and here we are, that that's what romantic love is. And the reason that I wanted to bring this up is that I feel like there's a lot of pain in there for us. There's a lot of pain in us going through that story and coming out the other side. Uh, eventually, if you're falling in love, you're eventually going to fall out of love. Um, coming out the other side, uh, feeling pretty, pretty burnt, pretty burnt by the whole process. Um, he says that falling in love has little to do with purposefully nurturing one's spiritual development. Falling in love doesn't actually enlarge us or expand us as human beings. Falling in love just happens. We can't choose to fall in love. On the other side, um, love is an action. Um, love is not necessarily a feeling. Love is an action. He goes so far as to say that real love um, begins at the end of falling in love. Um, so that might mean falling out of love. Real love often occurs in a context which, in which the feeling of love is lacking. You know, we act lovingly despite the fact that we don't feel loving. We act lovingly despite the fact that we don't feel loving. So um, I think that this is also like, side note, uh, why a lot of relationships, I'm raising my own hand here, collapse after four months. It's that our ego boundaries start to snap back into place and we no longer feel that sense of power and that sense of boundlessness. And we decide that it must be because we don't love the person anymore. And that's where we're getting hurt is that love isn't a feeling it's an action and it's a decision um he says love is not a feeling by which we are overwhelmed it is a committed and thoughtful decision Pfft. what i'm sorry but that wasn't in a disney movie what love is not a feeling by which we are overwhelmed it is a committed thoughtful decision all I've been fed my whole life is that, of course, love is a feeling by which you are overwhelmed. No, no, no. That's the psychology of falling in love. That's that, like, I'm on sugar, you know, drugs and need my hit feeling of, like, why didn't he text me back? That's not, that's not love. Um, that's, that's falling in love. And that feeling of, like, you are mine, I own you. That's not love. That's cathexis. What? Now that we have words for it, we can say more than just putting one word for our com most complex spiritually nurturing relationships in the same way that we love coffee. Like, wow, we're expanding our vocabulary. Here we go. Okay. So you're like, wow, this is a lot of information. How do I love someone then? Okay. So he takes us through... A number of different aspects of like what actually goes into love and I'm going to kind of like go through these quickly like gloss over them as in like read them quickly um this is truly 60 pages worth of the greatest content you'll ever read if you are interested again recommend the book um so what are the aspects of love let's see attention the work of paying attention to somebody of listening um so attention the work of commitment, the work of saying that you'll be there for something and following through on it, the work of commitment. Um, then there's the work of personal responsibility and awareness, which is owning your side of the street, which is knowing your stories, which is knowing, oh, 
I'm in the place where I feel like I'm on drugs because I'm falling in love and collapsing my, you know, it's the personal responsibility. Um, then this is another good one. Loving confrontation. If the point of love is to nurture the spiritual growth of somebody else, that does not mean that we can sit by and enable them. Um, it means that we are in the spirit of lovingly, lovingly confronting them and helping nurture their growth. Um, then there's the work of discipline, um, the work of showing up to this, even when you don't feel like it. Like he says that, uh, real love often occurs in a context where the feeling of love is lacking. That's discipline to continue to show up for it. Um, and then there's also the work of separateness, um, separateness, meaning knowing that I am one person and my partner is another person. And we are separate people with separate inner lives and separate outer lives and separate desires and separate identities and honoring that in one another. So again, those are attention, commitment, personal responsibility and or awareness, loving confrontation, discipline, and separateness. So like, Let's think through this really quickly. So like, let's just take the frame of a good parent-child relationship because that also requires love, right? So good parent-child relationship, we are listening thoughtfully and mindfully to our child. Through that process, <clears throat> through that process, the child is learning, oh, what I have to say matters. Interesting. My opinion and my thoughts are valued. Oh, if I can, mo if my parent or this person is modeling what listening means, to me, then I can learn how to listen to myself and to value myself. Okay. Commitment. There is a sense of inherent security that happens when you know that your parent is not going to bail on you. When you know that your parent is committed to, um, staying in your life, whatever that looks like, um, might not mean staying in your physical home, but there is a sense of um, psychological security that happens when you know that your parent is committed to staying in your life and that if you do something, if you fail a chemistry exam or you, you know, get drunk and show up and are puking in their bathroom, that they're not going to kick you out and completely own, disown and abandon you. You have freedom to know that you're allowed to make mistakes um, and that you're expected to grow from them, but you're allowed to make mistakes and they're not going to bail on you. There's a sense of personal responsibility and awareness. Whoa, personal responsibility of the parent not to project onto their child, hello, um, of a parent doing their work, of a parent learning about parenting, learning about what good loving means. Um, without that sense of understanding what their side of the street is and what their responsibility is in their relationship, they may not be showing up in a way that's as healthy. Um then there's loving confrontation. I think a lot of parents do the confrontation thing well and maybe not the loving confrontation thing well. Um, but loving confrontation is stepping in um, to say, you know, hey, we we don't denigrate people like that in this family. We don't – I still remember, you know, the f when I was in – I think it was in the sixth grade or something and I – my mom was my mom was meeting with a friend in our kitchen and I came through and she said something and I said, Oh, that's the R word. And she called me she called me out. She said, Hey Annika, we don't we don't use that word in this family. Like that's just offensive. And if 
she hadn't called me out, my goodness, would I have gone forward and not known that and continued to go out into the world word, world, and use that word that is so degrading and so offensive? Maybe, probably, my mom's courage to step up and lovingly confront me and say, hey, you know, like, we don't, we don't use that word in that family that's offensive. That was a learning moment for me. That's, she was interested in my growth as a human. That came from a place of love. And then there's discipline, which is to say showing up doing it even when you don't feel like it, um, showing up in parenting even when you're tired, um, showing up and being interested in the growth of your child even when it's not as convenient to your schedule, and also showing up and being interested in, in your own growth and your own development and taking care of yourself. And then the last is separateness, which again goes back to this idea of not projecting, um, recognizing that your child is someone who has a rich, rich life all on their own and will grow and develop in ways that are unique to them and celebrating that uniqueness and not trying to make your child a carbon copy of you. Okay, so do we see now sort of like if I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through this, um, in the interest of time, but we could go through in the context of a romantic relationship and unpack each of those things, attention, commitment, personal responsibility, loving confrontation, discipline, and separateness. Um, the key thing with all of these that they all have in common is that they're about a commitment to the growth of another person. They're not about nurturing this crazy feeling that it's us against the world and that we're all gonna blah blah no it's like wow I have the extreme privilege of bearing witness to another life to another person on this planet and I have the extreme privilege of growing and I'm going to work in these ways to show up for myself and for this relationship and for this person that I love, because that's what love is. So you might you might think you're in love and you actually aren't. Like you might have come into this podcast like, I'm in love. Then you listen to it and you're like, I'm in the falling in love thing. Or like, I'm in a weird relationship where we have cathected one another. We have brought each other into our understandings of ourselves or into our stories, but we're not actually supporting the growth of one another. Interesting. And, or you might not be feeling the love in your relationship, the total opposite, but it turns out that you are in the most loving relationship of all. You might not be in a very loving time right now, but you might have heard this and say like, wow, we actually check a lot of those boxes. Um, I, I, I guess I wanted to go into this discussion so that we had a better idea of what love is and what love is not. Um, I know some things that love is not. So love is not coercive or tricking someone into liking you. Hello? We're not coercing. Um, love is not diving so far into relationship with someone that you hope they might actually take all the responsibility for who you are and everything in your life and they'll care for you and you'll never have to worry about anything again. Yeah, that's not love. Um, love is not censoring someone and requiring them to be something else to meet you where you are. That's, that's definitely not love. And love is not finding a perfect and already fully formed human. 
holy crap, no. And that can be really tempting, especially as we get later into our 20s and into our 30s and into our 40s and we're in the process of dating and meeting new people, we might have this expectation of like, well, shit, yeah, I've done the work. Like, you better well be perfect and fully formed as a human because I am. And no, that's not, that's not the point. The point is that we bring somebody into our lives and into our story and we have the opportunity to support uh, their growth. I want us to move beyond these things, these ideas of coercion or giving up of responsibility or censoring other people. And I, I want us to have the courage to move beyond these things. Um, are you in something that closely resembles something that I just said? This world of coercion or surrendering responsibility, um, expecting perfection? I guess I hope this is an invitation to some reflection and perhaps a boost of courage to remove yourself from the situation if it is one of those. You, I can say, you are not helping either of you by being there. Um, I have been in many of those such situations myself. And while it is really deeply painful to extract yourself and end a relationship that is that way. Um, you're not helping either of you by staying in it. Uh, and I want this to be maybe a little courage boost for you. Um, love is the access point that we have to spiritual growth. It's real work. It's real attention. It's real sacrifice. It's real discipline. Um, these are the experiences that enlarge us. When we grow like that, there's no returning to our original dimensions. When we grow through the process of love, it enlarges who we are. Um, he, he says in the book, uh, what transpires then in the course of many years of loving, of extending our limits, is a gradual but progressive enlargement of the self, an incorporation within of the world without and a growth, a stretching, and a thinning of our ego boundaries. In this way, the more and longer we extend ourselves, the more we love, the more blurred becomes the distinction between the self and the world. We become identified with the world. And as our ego boundaries become blurred and thinned, we begin more and more to experience the same sort of ecstasy that we have when our ego boundaries partially collapse, or we, quote, fall in love. Only instead of having merged temporarily and unrealistically with a single beloved object, we have merged realistically and more permanently with much of the world. A mystical union with the entire world may be established. Um, yeah, some of y'all might be like, whoa, you lost me. That's fine. You'll, you just listen, listen to this again in a year and see if it, see if it makes sense. Um, that's where we're going with this whole thing. It, and it just sounds so wonderful, like a realistic, grounded experience of what it means to grow by the process of nur nurturing the growth of others, of enlarging, of enlarging yourself for the purpose of helping others grow. Oh my gosh, that sounds so delightful. So I hope that you have some clarity. Um, and some of you might be very confused. Again, Rewind. Go back. Listen to it again. It'll make more sense a second time. 
My point with this podcast is so not to teach you how to have the greatest love and give you every tool you need to have the greatest healthy relationship, but no, my point is to expand your understanding of what love is. My point is to help us and expand our lexicon. Um, We have been sold so many confusing ideas, and yeah, this is totally just adding another one to the pile for you. You're welcome. Um, But often we when we expand our definition, when we like expand the number of possible definitions of a thing, um, we, and we start to look at it from different angles, we find that the, the totality of the thing actually comes into better view. So there's this story, um, of five men who are blindfolded and led to an elephant, but they were each led to like a different part of the elephant. And then they were asked to say like, what do you think this is? And so the guy holding the tail is like, it's a broom. And the guy holding the um, trunk is like, it's a hose. And you know, they all have different things that they're naming because if you're holding on to a, like a, the leg of an elephant versus an ear versus a trunk, it's going to feel really different. And that's, so what I'm trying to do is offer and another definition to come into your pile so that you can expand your view of like, okay, here are the 15 possible definitions of what love could be. And you can start to settle in on what one makes the most sense to you. I'm not saying that you need to buy everything that I just said. What I am saying is that I hope that you can better understand when am I in like the weird heady falling in love thing? When am I in an unhealthy, I've incorporated you into me, but I'm not necessarily here for your growth. And when am I in a place where I am, have a incorporated you into me and am here for your growth and, um, help that inform your kind of broader definition of what love is. Wow. That was a lot. Okay. So take this, leave this, share this or delete this. Um, I really didn't mean for that to rhyme, I promise. Um, uh, Know that I love you. And there it is, that word again. Um, So take care of one another. Take care of yourselves. And I will see you next week.